Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly. Today we are talking about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 8, The Sanctuary. Did you enjoy this episode, Vicki? I can say there are parts of it I enjoyed. Okay. There are more parts of it that I didn't enjoy. Okay. I felt like this whole episode had a we saw that coming theme to it. Mm. Book's brother contacting him after so you know, we've seen this story. The lost relative contacts their relative after so many years needing help and they run off to help him and then we find out that they it don't was all need, a yeah, setup. Yeah, then it's all a setup, but then later we we find out the evil person is really doing it for his family. Yeah. The whole yeah. story was okay, we saw that coming. I found <laughs> Osira very underwhelming. And I'm not sure what I was expecting. And I'm not saying it because I saw this already. I found her very underwhelming the first time. And she felt kind of cartoonish and mustache twirly <laughs> to me. Yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about that. Because I actually, I agree with you 100%. I actually did like this episode. But mostly because, you know, I'm very much, I've realized over the years, a big fan of the, um, and I think we've talked about this before, the episodes where there's a lot of collaboration. Where all these different people are bringing stuff to the table that helps solve the problem. Those are always my favorites. This was one of those. Yeah, you know, that part I liked. I liked the battle. I liked seeing Book's Planet, but there was a lot of it. Jero was over the top, even for her, and I know it was kind of a defense mechanism, so nobody knew she was worried about what was going on with her, but it was almost like the Deep Space Nine Mirror Universe episodes. It was too much. It was too much. And I did... Really enjoy the Detmer and Rin portions of the episode. And I was glad to see her regaining some of her self-confidence. But at the beginning, I was glad that the writers were being so responsible with the portrayal of her PTSD by showing us that it isn't something to be cured, and I'm air quotes, in one episode. And that recovery is a process. So I hope they don't negate all of that by making it look like all she needed was one good flight and everything is better. And I would have liked if she had volunteered for that rather than having been volunteered. That True. would have been a, another road to recovery True. element. So, anyway, well, let's talk from the beginning. So we start at the beginning, like you referenced, where Book finds Burnham and tells her that he's been contacted by his brother on the planet Quijan, I think it's how it's pronounced. Uh, yeah. Um, and the planet is being threatened by Osira and the Emerald Chain. And so he needs help because... It's a long way away via any form of transportation other than spore drive. So they take this request to Admiral Vance, who was surprisingly okay with it. Yeah, that was surprising to me, too. So I don't know whether that was just an inconsistency in the writing or we're seeing a sort of a sea change for the Admiral. But anyways, he agrees that it's okay for the Discovery to go to Quijon only as observers, 
So they're not there to fight Osira or or anything else. They're just there as observers. And I actually really kind of liked that because this is one of the reasons why I kind of was warm with this episode. That's the kind of thing that the Federation would do in our original Star Trek. They would be helpful. Yes. And helpful in a meaningful way, not just in a, oh, we're here kind of way. And so I thought, okay, that's clever of them to say, okay, here is a way that we could do this without aligning ourselves with one side or the other and still be who we are. So I really like that. Osira has a hold over this planet because there are these sea locusts mm-hmm. that come out of the ocean. They're like locusts and eat all of Quijon's harvest. And then the people would starve. And I was not really clear, and maybe I missed it, as to how Osira helped with that. Did she just give them food? I don't know if they ever actually said what she did. Okay. Well, anyway, so they saved their harvest somehow or gave them food somehow, but in return, they had to hand over their transworms. Right. So, And that, of course, was what Book was doing when Burnham first met him was rescuing transworms and returning them to sanctuary right so now were the transworms what was originally keeping the sea locusts at bay or is that just a totally separate thing no i think that's a totally separate thing if i remember correctly it was actually the burn that caused the problem somehow the burn shifted the moon's orbit and then made the tides do something so that then the sea locusts came out of the ocean okay something like that anyway you know after we've heard about Osira and the Admiral Chain for so long, we get a scene where we get to meet Osira. Right. The Wicked Witch of the Admiral Chain. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's all I could think of. <laughs> which just which just so added I'm, to her I'm mustache. I'm knowing, because for our listeners, Vicky chooses the titles of our podcast, and I'll throw some suggestions at her, but she gets the ultimate final say, which is so cool with me. But one of the suggestions I made was Surrender Dorothy. I was reading those just a little while ago. <laughs> I'll be interested to see if you actually choose that one. Anyway, so we meet Osira. She reminds me of the Wicked Witch of the West from The Wizard of Oz. Right. And... She is, just like you said, you pegged it perfectly. She is a mustache-twirling villain who takes her nephew. Everybody remember her nephew from the episode Scavengers? And he was the bully that Giorgio was saying bullies crumble like a cookie when faced with a bigger bully. Well, Osiris, the bigger bully. And she feeds him to a transworm. And you know what? I didn't even feel bad. I did, only because it was so over the top. Yeah, and she was almost giggling, which just took me out of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy's gone now, the bad bully from the scavenger factory, who whined quite a bit in explaining what happened. Yeah. So from that standpoint, you know, stop whining. But there was just, again, like you said, there was no depth here. You know, you don't see what's driving her. Right. You know, is she being driven... Because her people are starving too? What's driving her? Or is it just that she likes to twirl her mustache? And I think that's what is a shame. Because it would be really nice to know, you know, even if Tolor had said something about, you know, I know I've let us down because our people are relying on us to whatever, blah, blah, something. Something that gives us an idea of what her motivations are. And we don't know what they are except just to be the, the meanest Orion in the Emerald Chain. Right. So anyway, so bye-bye, Tolor. <laughs> Then we go back to the Discovery, and we see a scene with Tilly and Saru. There was a bunch of scenes here that kind of set some character development scenes. So 
Tilly working as Saru's first officer, kind of updating him on this, that, and the other thing. And then, you know, there's this, I, I really don't know how I feel about this. I'll be real interested in your opinion on this. Ugh. An ongoing gag as to what Saru's call sign should be or his trigger words should be. Yes. Yeah, make it so. Right. Or execute. When he and Chili were discussing it, I thought it was ridiculous. I did like the reactions of the rest of the crew every time he tried a new one. Yeah. I did like that. And that kind of goes to that whole family theme that you have been pointing out. Yes. But I thought the whole discussion about it, like this is something that somebody needs to discuss, was ridiculous. Uh, Yeah. So, and then we have a really nice scene between Stamets and Adira where they're trying to evaluate the SB19 data that they got from Navarre, the planet formerly known as Vulcan. Right. And they have actually determined that the burn started in a nebula and they're able to pinpoint a song that is coming out of the nebula as well as a Federation distress signal. Yes. So they have figured out that the source of the burn is from the same place as they're receiving a Federation distress signal. Yes. And in the same scene, we also have a, uh, a discussion between um, Stamets and Adira, where Adira requests that she is described with the pronouns they and them. Right. Instead of she or her, which Stamets agrees to do, and which I will do from here on out as well. So... Stamets agrees to do for them. Right. And then I don't know if it's here or later in the episode where Adira says that Gray isn't talking to them anymore. Yes. And they're unhappy about it. Was that here or was that later in the episode? I think it was not that much later. I don't think it was the same exact scene because it was the scene where they were playing music together. Ah, right. I like that scene. Okay, so then we have Burnham and Book. About ready to go to Quijon. And here's something that I wanted to discuss with you. So here they are using the spore drive. They jump to Quijon and they emerge in orbit over Quijon mm-hmm. where they know that Osira and the Emerald Chain are already there. Right, because they've been told that. <laughs> Why on earth are they just appearing out of nowhere with the most valuable drive in Starfleet? Right. And when I said at the beginning that this was one of those, we saw that coming. The first time I watched it, I really thought that she was after the ship. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That would make so much sense. And maybe I'm misunderstanding this, which is entirely possible, because maybe when they emerge from warp, they appear in the same way they would appear with a spore drive. But I don't think so. Don't they come in spinning? I think so. I mean, unless I'm misremembering this, it's obvious to an outside onlooker that this is a different kind of drive. Right, and my assumption the first time I watched it was that they already knew about this ship and that the ploy was to get the ship there. Which would make so much sense. Yeah. So much sense. Because they would be ridiculously stupid if they didn't have informants in Starfleet and the Federation. Yeah, of course. So when I said we saw it coming, I knew there was another reason why they were calling book. But originally I thought it was because they wanted the ship. So here's another interesting question for you. Do you recognize the name Viridian? That's the name of Osiris' ship. You know, it sounds familiar and it won't come to me. Viridian 6. Does that help? Viridian 6. No. Okay. I'm almost positive, and I did not do the Google search to find out, but I'm almost positive that Viridian, the name of her ship, and Viridian 6 is the name of the planet that was where, oh, I'm losing it now, Generations 
what was the name of the uh, floaty the floaty ribbon of light? Oh, it was a the Nexus, right? The Nexus, right. I think Viridian Six was the planet that the Nexus interfaced with that Soren wanted to get to so that he could rejoin the Nexus. And you know, he actually blew up the Amagosa star in right. order to reorient the Nexus so that it would then go to Viridian Six so that he could stand on his metal platform and Right. Be taken by the Nexus. Right. And I just was curious is that there was some connection there. Oh, geez, I don't know. I don't either. It, it sounded, could just be a, like a Easter eggy connection as yeah. opposed to a, you know, a plot connection. Yeah, probably because I noticed more so in this season, they're throwing us a lot of Easter eggs. Yeah. Anyway, so Burnham and Book go to the surface to meet with the brother. Meanwhile, Dr. Culber is trying to help Giorgio in the scenes that you already referenced here that she's, you know, even more mirror universe, deadpan, nasty than usual. Yeah. But I think Culber does a really good job with her and he pegged it. You are terrified. And I thought that actually, that's how she came across to me too. Oh, you absolutely. Know, this, this nasty is just hiding, barely concealed terror. Right, because it was far too much nasty, even for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I thought those scenes were really, really good. I, I thought they were really good. She's got something going on. They have her put on a suit that is made of hyperconductive material so they could do a scan of her, and she says she looks like a human spermatozoa, which was a very funny line. Um, and in the middle of scanning, she starts, like, practically seizing. So whatever's going on is significant, and then she steals the sensor and breaks into the computer and looks at her own stuff. When Colbert finds her and says, "This I knew this is what you'd be doing, she says, I'm dying. And he says, it's not that cut and dried, which means there's some more interesting information coming. And right. I'm kind of looking forward to that. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka... Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. Meanwhile, we get to learn from both. Oh, gosh, I may be misremembering. But I think that both Book's brother and then we discover on Discovery at the same time that what Osiris is really looking for is Rin. Right. The Andorian that Giorgio and Burnham rescued from the Scavengers episode. Right. She's trying to get him from both ends. She's trying to get him off the ship. And she also has Book's brother trying to get Book to turn him over. So Right, exactly. So there's this two-pronged approach. Right. She's threatening Discovery and she's threatening the Quijian people. Right. And Rin won't explain why. And there's this wonderful scene where he comes in and he was like, I have to talk to the captain. And she says, no, 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 no. Start all over again and do that respectfully. Right. I do like the way Tilly stepped up in this episode. Yeah, I thought that was pretty awesome. The other thing I really liked is what he said is that Federation assistance always comes with strings. And we've heard that before. And I'm wondering what that means. I know. And I don't remember if we ever hear what it is. I don't remember. And we might still. Yeah, but I just don't remember. I didn't know either. Because I've got to tell you, we have not really interacted much with the Federation yet this season. We have been interacting with Starfleet. Right. Who is the exploration and military 
wing of the Federation, but they're still not the Federation. So it's just interesting. And when they say, does it come with springs, is it because of Starfleet or is it because of the Federation? Right. And then there is that scene between Adira and Stamets where they're actually playing music together. Mm-hmm. And that's when they say that Gray is not talking to them anymore. And Stamets actually is very, very understanding and supportive, which I thought was pretty awesome. Yes. So this is where I think the story got a little weak. What happened on Quijon was a lot of just running around and yammering <laughs> yeah. and firing weapons and fighting. And I think this goes to your point about how this, you know, this particular part of the episode was about discovering that Kaim is not a bad guy. He's trying to save his family. He's trying to save his planet. And Kaim discovering that Book is the bad guy either. Right. And we've seen and, this show on every other show in the world. Yeah, yeah. And then because Kaim doesn't give Osiris what she wants, she starts firing at the planet. Now, the planet apparently has this really good defense shield, but it can't withstand being fired on forever. So she starts firing on the planet. It's only a matter of time before the shields collapse. Discovery can't jump in. So Tilly volunteers Detmer to go take Book's ship to go take out Osiris' ship. And Rin volunteers to help because he knows what the weaknesses of Osiris' ship are. So there's this great scene with Detmer and Rin in Book's ship. And she's flying like a badass. Right. She's going manual. Right. She's all, Luke, you've turned off your targeting computer. She's going manual. And she's going to take out the ship. And it's really fun. That's a very fun scene. And I really enjoyed it. Though I think you're point is very well made hopefully they don't think that her jumping out and going manual and blowing up ships going to solve the problems of the trauma that she's had right and of course we're supposed to see steps of her improving and i loved this that she got some of her confidence back but i think they were so responsible at the beginning and they let her condition or whatever it is go in where what is this episode eight or nine yes this is eight yeah i loved that this was one of my favorite scenes But I just don't want them to negate everything they did before. So meanwhile on the planet, once they realize that they're no longer under threat from Osiris' photon torpedoes, then Burnham is able to talk them into combining their strength to chase the sea locusts back to the ocean. And so they discover what the frequency is that is used by them to encourage the sea locusts to leave and they enhance that and magnify it and then book and his brother push the sea locusts away and then the sea locusts won't eat all their food right so now my question here is because book does say it's their choice they're not going to yes. force them so in whatever they did are they somehow explaining to the sea locusts that they're killing the planet that's a great question because what know. keeps them from coming back later when the discovery is not there to enhance whatever they yeah. did is that what we're supposed to come away with i wasn't sure i don't know either and i was thinking if these two people are empaths there's got to be more in their population so maybe they need to find them and then as a group they can send them all back in the future but that's a really good question we don't know because if it's the tidal forces of a misplaced moon or a displaced moon then you're right they're probably going to come back Right. So because Book said it has to be their choice, it led me to believe that somehow they're explaining to them what they're doing to the planet. Because otherwise, they will come back. If Discovery's not there, yeah, they'll probably have to round up whatever's left of the population. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. That's exactly right. So then we get back to the ship. 
You know, all's well that ends well. We have Detmer talking about her piloting skills in fighting off the Viridian, and Owo talking about her going all macho, which was really a cute little interaction. Yeah. And, you know, Detmer saying, you know, deal with me, universe, which was very cute, very nice sort of yeah. empowering sense of comfort for her that she's more comfortable with what's going on in her life and in the same scene this is in the uh, mess hall we have tilly and rin where rin confesses why osira wants him she wants him because he's the only one in the emerald chain who knows she's running out of dilithium so there is some desperation here wouldn't it have been nice if we had known that earlier right but does that seem reasonable no it really doesn't why would he be the only one yeah doesn't she have confidants that i don't know That just didn't seem reasonable to me. And so what if he knows? So what if the whole world knows that she's running out of dilithium? Everybody's running out of dilithium. Why would she not be running out of dilithium too? Yeah, that part's not very clear. I mean, doesn't that make her more dangerous in that she's going to go find dilithium by whatever means necessary? Yeah. So wouldn't you want people to know that so they would just hand it over a little bit more easy so that she doesn't blow them out of the sky? I mean, it just, I agree. It doesn't pass the so what test. No, and it, just the fact that she was holding him captive, pretty much. You know, yes. he, he wasn't there voluntarily. So why is he the only one who knows? That- well, I think he was a member of the animal chain. And then he realized that he didn't want to be part of this group anymore. That's why they cut off his antennas, because he, he betrayed them. Right. Maybe he found out this closely held secret, and that's why he started the rebellion. I don't know. But you're right. We're having to do a whole lot of hypothesizing to try to figure out Right. <laughs> I expected it to be something bigger. Yeah. You know, that he knew all the ins and outs of her whole organization. and That's what I expected. It wasn't this. I don't know either. So that's pretty much the end of the episode. We still have some questions left about what um, is going on with Giorgio and probably the largest question being what's the Federation signal coming out of that nebula? Right. And they are waiting the results of an algorithm that's going to help them determine the source of that Federation signal. Yeah. Oh, and of course, you know, what's Osira going to do next? Right, because, you know, now Starfleet's on her bad side, or the Federation. Right. And Saru looked a little shocked by that threat, which kind of confused me too. I don't, I don't know why he would be shocked. Yeah, I don't either. But I guess maybe Saru's not used to dealing with bullies. I mean, how many bullies did you really see in the... Well, the Klingons were bullies, sort of. I mean, they were culturally bullies, so yeah. maybe it was accepted. I, I don't know. You know, you just didn't really see that kind of behavior right. in the Federation from whence they came. So, I don't know. Anyway, for the most part, I like this story. Yeah, like I said, there were parts that I really, really, really liked. But I think yeah. in this one, there were more parts that I didn't. <laughs> well, the next one we're going to be watching to is Terra Firma. And just so that our listeners know, we're actually going to be reviewing both Terra Firma Part 1 and Part 2 at the same time. So when we start our next podcast, people can expect a slightly longer one to mm-hmm. talk about both episodes at the same time. Okay. Okay. Is there anything else we need to touch base on? I don't think so. All right. Well, we invite our listeners to join us next time when we talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episodes 9 and 10, Terra Firma Part 1 and 2. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org.
You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.